What does it take to set up from scratch a fantasy dungeon-based role-playing campaign? Let's see if we can get playing a simple fantasy adventure game. How can we keep things simple and yet also create an experience that satisfies for a solid evening of play? What's the design process that we need to go through? I'd like to posit using a simple set of rules that I've been tinkering and experimenting with, pretty much on and off since June. In a fantasy dungeoneering game, characters don't need to be very complicated. As a concept, we simply need folk who can wield a weapon against the monsters, navigate and survive the dungeon environment, and perhaps interact with interesting non-player characters that we might meet along the way. The primary goal of the dungeon adventure is, I think, to locate and retrieve the treasure. The default action of the player in a dungeon game is to pick a direction, often a doorway or a passageway intersection, and explore the next location. If they are not sure what to do, players just pick a direction and explore some more, searching for that treasure. I realise that's very much boiling the game structure down, but this is a thought experiment in keeping things simple. As for the world, in a fantasy dungeoneering game we don't need to make this very detailed. We can rely upon the common tropes of fantasy land to get us through. Let's strip it down to basics. We'll stick to humans as the dominant species. We'll make it a low magic world and we'll assume an earth-like world in a faux medieval state of technology. My tastes run to the late medieval period at the very latest and I much prefer the Dark Ages. Because I'm British, I'm going to present a kind of faux European culture. That's the game structure and the world, both outlined. This leaves us with the last of the three points of the role-playing triangle, the system of adjudication. Most people would call this bit the rules. It's the bit we gamers spend the most time talking about, as if the hard definitions of adjudication were more important than the fluid choices of the world or the options of game structure. But hey, I didn't make the role-playing hobby all about the rule books. I do like a game with a simple set of core mechanisms that everyone can grasp easily. I'm going to have three major mechanisms front and centre. A core dice-based resolution mechanism for testing character abilities, a simple dice-based random damage generation system for injury, and a neat little reaction table for randomly determining the responses of non-player characters to the player's own characters. I am pretty old school in my sensibilities, and I prefer to leave a lot of the space for randomly generated details to provide for emergent surprises, which the group, myself and the players, will naturally convert into emergent story. Because I like six-sided dice, d6s, I'm going to arbitrarily decide to use 3d6 and have people try and roll under the value of an ability score. I like when the rules test your ability rather than some arbitrary difficulty number, you know, perhaps based on the adjudication of the situation. And I like using actual value of the ability being tested instead of mucking about with sort of bonuses attached to attribute scores while basically ignoring the base values of those scores. I also enjoy the fact that 3d6 has a bell curve that makes a higher ability really much more likely to succeed in a non-linear manner. 
but that's my perversion for what little maths I understand, and it's kind of leaking through into my design preferences. Let's keep it simple. You'll roll 3d6 under the ability. As the 50% mark on the dice is 10, that'll mean a value of 10 on an ability will succeed half the time. And that's a very useful mathematical benchmark. Right then, we're going to need some characters. I'm not calling them heroes, by the way, because they're not. At least, not yet. These are cheeky, sneaky, tricksy adventurer types who are all about the loot. Where's that long-lost dungeon, they'll ask, and what's inside it that we can steal? While my personal tastes run towards more detail in most of my own designs, I ended up with 8 to 10, or maybe even 12 stats. I'm going to try and get away with just four major attributes to outline each character. Because they'll be fighting, and they'll be traps to injure folk, I reckon we should have some kind of strength attribute to deal with how strong am I, and another to deal with how healthy and resilient I am. Let's just call them simply strength and health. That's a good start. From there, I reckon we'll need to know how dexterous and slick with the reactions, how manually skilled a character might be, so I'm going to add dexterity to the list. And finally, because we all like to use our wits and learning, I'm going to lump all of the intellectual abilities into a simple intelligence attribute. Done. Well, at least for now. Strength and health, dexterity and intelligence. The only thing that bugs me is that I know from long experience that the dexterity and intelligence attributes are going to come up a lot more often than the strength and health ones. But I don't know. While I'm wondering how I can make that feel fairer, hey, I just want to keep it kind of right, basically simple right now. So as the benchmark on the 3d6 is 10, let's start all the characters with a baseline attribute of 10. So everyone starts with strength 10, health 10, dexterity 10, and intelligence 10. But that is a bit boring. I mean, everyone's the same. Let's give players some power to customize those attributes. Let's give them some points to spend and make, I don't know, one point of strength or health cost 10 points. And because dex and intelligence will come up more often, let's make them both cost a bit more. One point of dexterity or intelligence Let's say it costs 20 points. Let's give the players a simple number to play with. Go and spend 50 points. I've picked 50 because, as I understand it, psychologically, we find making choices between 5 and 9 things easier. I want this to go quick, so taking 5 as a base and then making it sound cooler by multiplying by 10, that feels nice to me. 50 points. Strength and health cost 10 points per plus 1 to the attribute. Dexterity and intelligence cost double. That's 20 points per plus one to the attribute. What's that? You'd like to be able to have an attribute lower than 10. Oh, blimey, you would have to go and complicate things, wouldn't you? Okay, um, let's arbitrarily say you can't have an attribute score below eight. You can trade in attributes at the same cost. So 10 points back for a strength or a health point and 20 points back for a dexterity or intelligence point. Just bear in mind, on 3d6, a score of 8 will succeed only 26% of the time. Mind you, if you get things up as high as 13, you'll get an 84% chance of success. Sweet. Let's recap the main rule of the game. If you want to do something, roll 3d6 and try to score equal to or less than the value of the attribute score that's most relevant. Thus, if you're trying to do a strength-based task, 
that'll be roll under strength on 3d6. Simple, right? That said, many things in life require skill and training. Raw strength can help with hurting someone, you know, using a sword, but it takes coordination and training to use a sword effectively, and that'll be dexterity at play. I like the idea that you can learn some skills and get to, like, I don't know, leverage the full benefit of your attributes through training. Because being untrained really should suck, I'm going to give you a penalty on any attempt to use a skill without training. I'm also going to point out that some skills are easy to learn, some are pretty average in difficulty, and some, well, those skills are hard to learn. So this is the general rule. Doing something that needs training subtracts from your attribute for the 3d6 test roll. If the GM thinks it's an easy skill, like wielding a knife or climbing, if it's easy, it's minus four when you're untrained. Don't worry, I'll tell you about training in a minute. If it's an average difficulty skill, it'll be minus five when you're untrained. And if it's a hard to learn skill, well, that'll be minus six to attribute. Easy minus four, average minus five, hard minus six. So you've got a dexterity of 12 and you're trying to climb a cliff wall. You haven't practiced that, even if it is easy to learn how. So your dex will be rolled at minus four, leaving you with an eight or less. Grab the 3d6 and roll. Right, yes. Okay then. You want to give your character some training. To choose your skills, you'll get some more points to spend. We're basically building a character and you're spending points, so let's call them character points. You'll get some more character points to spend on learning some skills. I've knocked up a little table to show what things cost, just for quick reference, but knocking out that untrained minus four penalty for climbing, that costs one point and allows you to roll climbing at the same score as your dexterity. In other words, training at all reduces the untrained penalty down by four. Another point, two points in total, that gets climbing at your dex plus one. Four points lets you have it at dex plus two, and every four more points gives you another plus one with that easy climbing skill. I think that's simple to grasp, and I think it lets you ace out some skills for a fair cost. Average to learn skills start by knocking the untrained penalty to minus one for one point, remember. Training starts by reducing the penalty by four. So with the average penalty at minus five, that makes one point of training kick the penalty for a skill with an average difficulty down to a mere minus one. Hard to learn skills, they start by knocking the untrained penalty down to minus two. It's the same point scale to buy improvements from there. Oh, and most of the skills in the game, they're gonna be average to learn. And that's about it for the basics of how this game handles making a character. I like the idea that you can build your Dungeoneer and build them. Of course, if you really fancy a random set of attributes, then you can just roll all four on 3d6 and see what you get. Either way, whether you build that character with 50 points of attributes or you roll those up randomly, you can have 25 points to spend on buying some training in skills. Right then, having done your character and teaching you how to roll 3d6 below an attribute, or a skill to do stuff in the game, in the dungeon, I want to just cover a couple of other basic rules. First, damage will be rolled on d6s too. I really can't be bothered with the polyhedral dice and it's far more old school to use six-siders for damage anyway. We'll use the dice plus adds approach, you know, 1d plus two or 2d minus three or whatever. Just be aware that melee weapons and range weapons that leverage your muscle power 
These improve the damage your strength can inflict, rather than just having an innate flat damage roll for each weapon. What I mean is that your strength gives you a raw damage roll. So strength 10 characters will roll one dice when they are swinging weapons like swords around. The sword adds to the damage, and in the case of a broadsword, it'll give you a plus one. There's a little table for the basic damage from your strength, but simply, if you're stronger, then you'll do more damage. And armor, by the way, also reduces damage that people take. Leather armor, for example, protects for two points. And because armor reduces damage, let's call it two damage reduction. Your strength 10 character with a broadsword rolls 1d plus 1 to wound me. My armor takes two off the damage, and the rest goes into my body. Easy. The last rule to worry about right now is that when you meet some NPC in the game, there's going to be a reaction roll. We've got a 3d6 core rule for tests, so let's use 3d6 on the table for reactions, in a classic old school style. High scores get better reactions. Low scores, yeah, they get worse reactions. We'll modify that on the fly based on the relationship between your characters and the NPC or the situation or whatever. Rulings, not rules, right? But there's a reaction table. I like reaction tables. They make for some cool emergent storytelling. And that's about it. Um, 3d6 roll low, damage dice on dice plus adds using only six siders, and there's a reaction table. Now we can go dungeoneering with your character built with 75 character points. You know what? This game system needs a name. Oh, that's right. It's already got a name. I've been tinkering with this set of rules for months, but I didn't write it. It's not really all that complicated to play. The game is called GURPS. It stands for Generic Universal Role Playing System. It's published by Steve Jackson Games, and it's been around since 1985. Hi, my name is Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue, the podcast about getting folk back to playing tabletop roleplaying games. This episode was created following a poll of the Patreon patrons between three episode ideas. There was a strong call for an episode on GURPS, which, honestly, I was dying to record, but I didn't really want to risk doing that cold. That said, I offered an episode on starting simple in gaming, and another on talking about three more adventure games, and both of those did pretty well too. The whole poll experience triggered something in my brain, and, well, here we are. This is an episode on GURPS, and also an episode on what I've learned about it over the past few months. But that's not really what I want to talk about. This is Season 4, Episode 16, Simple Dungeoneering, Part 1. What the flipping heck are we up to, Webster? If I've done the opening bit right and not bored the pants off you already, you should be able to grasp not only the basic rules of GURPS, but additionally, what I think is the general rationale behind the game. GURPS is a simple game with a bunch of consistent assumptions baked right into the design. Tests are always on 3d6. Roll equal to or less than your skill or sometimes your raw attribute. Damage is always on D6s and rolled using the dice plus add system. 
And there's a really cool reaction table that can be used for a lot of things to find out how NPCs, monsters, whomever, how they react. But more than that, it's a skill-based design that simply rates difficulty by how tough it is to learn the skill. Easy, average, or hard. In fact, GURPS also has a very hard set of skills, but you can't use those at all untrained. The core rules of GURPS are available free of charge as a download from Steve Jackson Games. Go to sjgames.com forward slash GURPS and you can follow the link to grab GURPS Lite. That's a 32-page introductory set of rules, completely free. And the basics of how to play are on about two pages. The combat rules, I think there are about five pages. and Most of the rest is a grab bag of stuff to add to your character. GURPS is a game where the difficulty is not in the rules of the game. What's difficult is navigating the vast array of choices open to you as a player. It's a generic and universal rule set. The hard part is choosing what character you want to create. The trick, as a GURPS GM, is in limiting those choices, boiling things down to the core options which will emulate the world and facilitate the game structure you want to play. While other games do this work for you, D&D, for example, limits you to some classes of character and presents a bland sort of fantasy land to play in, while other games set limits for you, in GURPS, you get to become the designer of every aspect of your role-playing experience. Fiddling with the dials is not everyone's cup of tea. In an age of pre-designed apps and instant gratification, most people are just too hurried to take the time to appreciate what a game like GURPS can offer. I'll say it again. Instead of a game in which the default assumption is that you will play a random and thinly sketched outline of a character that you'll develop some affection for once it reaches level 5, instead of that, GURPS invites you to invest in your character idea from the beginning. This is a risky proposition, of course, because you could spend an hour or two designing a decent character and then die in the first dungeon room. But, however you look at it, GURPS is a game that wants you to play the character you actually want to play. And it wants you to feel like what you choose actually matters. Because this is a game about getting into character and a game about role-playing and existence in a fantastical world, I mean, any fantastical world you can imagine, actually, but because of that, it takes some time to build a character. But, as I said a moment ago, and oddly, that's not really what I wanted to talk about today. I want to take you on a journey that I've begun, back into the history of the GURPS system, and share the amazing stuff that I've discovered. I want to share how GURPS has become unfairly tangled up in a veil of mystique and apparent complexity, and I want to try and untangle the game from that veil. In short, I want to show you how I aim to introduce a simple dungeoneering game using GURPS to the school kids I game with on a Tuesday night after school. Let's dive in. What's the quickest way to get a character to a gaming table so you can get playing? In truth, rolling random attributes and choosing from a limited package of options is probably the answer. That's what D&D does, and it's a tried and tested strategy. When GURPS first came into the world as a published game back in 1985 and 1986, 
random character creation was a genuine part of the system. This surprised me. If I want to run an open table dungeoneering game in a fantasy world, this is probably the fastest answer. It's not going to give us balanced characters, but it will give us workable alter egos in a short period of time. My goal is under 10 minutes. With that goal in mind, let's go back to 1985. In 1985, Steve Jackson Games published Man to Man. This was subtitled Fantasy Combat from GURPS. In short, it was the combat system from the Fuller game, which was still in development and being playtested at the time. It was the combat system framed within a context of fantasy arena fighting. Actually, it also offered some really cool out-of-the-arena combat scenarios that are a study in how to set up interesting combat scenes in a role-playing game. It's a very cool product that has stood the test of time. It also introduces the core concepts of GURPS, as it existed prior to the first edition, in an easily digestible format. What's the hardest, most complex part of any role-playing game? Try and tell me it's not going to be combat. Unless you abstract fights to the point of hand-waving with a single die roll or simply glossing over narratively, approaches that the history of published role-playing games seem to point towards being a minority fetish, by the way, unless you do that, combat is going to be an exciting and large part of any game engine. It's the most basic game structure in D&D-inspired role-playing games. There's a clear goal. Don't get killed while trying to kill or drive off the opponents. There's also a default action. Hit or shoot at the enemy. And there's a clear set of procedures to resolve the action. It's a mini-game within the role-playing game genre. It's the basic game structure. Man-to-man is the GURPS combat system, and it teaches you how to play GURPS along the way. If I want to introduce you to GURPS as a game system, there's no better way than to introduce you to the fighting pit. I aim to run a fighting pit league at school. Players will come along, create a fighter, enter the pit and battle other fighters run by other players, or battle creatures run by me, or optionally, other fighters or creatures run by other players who are playing as monster anglers. This will then lead towards those fighters being challenged to enter a death trap dungeon filled with treasure, all for glory and the joy of adventure. Because I want an open table and I only have one and a half hours per session, this approach is ideal. Two simple game structures, combat and dungeon crawling. In short, action-packed play sessions. Anyone can show up each week and play. Jobs are good. So, what's the quickest way to get a character to the gaming table? While the 4th edition of GURPS does not have random character generation, I'm stealing the idea from Man to Man and GURPS 1st edition anyway. No, the characters won't be balanced, but they will be measurably comparable because GURPS uses character points to give a guide to the relative power level of a character. While the players will be rolling and making some choices, I will, as Arena Referee, be able to count up each character's total and present this as a fighter rating. 
and just as man-to-man awards experience based on relative fighter ratings, I can do the same in the league. It's genius. So here's how we'll roll up a character. Players roll 3d6 for 4 attributes, strength, dexterity, intelligence and health. Any score lower than 7 counts as a 7. Next, they'll pick 2 weapons, or 1 weapon and a shield. For these skills, they'll roll 1d-3 and add the value to the dex to gain a skill value. If you roll 0 or less, you count the skill bonuses as 0. Weapons on offer will be axe and mace, broadsword, large knife, short sword, spear or quarterstaff. That's seven choices, an optimum choice set for beginners. On top of this, you get to roll 2d6 and gain that many skills from a random table. The random table is a 3d6 table with one entry each from 3 to 18, but three columns of choices. For each skill, you roll 3d6 and pick one of the three choices from that row on the table. I've customised these to fit the premise of a dungeon adventure game in a fantasy world. Again, the skill bonus of each skill is rolled 1d-3 per skill, minimum of plus 0 applied to the relevant attribute the skill is linked to. Finally, you roll 3d6 on an advantage table, and 3d6 again on a disadvantage table. Each table has entries from 3 to 18, one different outcome for each value rolled. And by the way, the advantages are really quite good. At the rare end, the 3 or the 18, you get to roll twice. And the same goes for the disadvantage table. These are significant things that change the flavour of the character. I quite like the optional tables that are in first edition for things like random skin colour and hair colour and eye colour, but I'm not sure whether to offer them or not. So at this point, while I consider that they do add colour, if you'll pardon the pun, I'm wondering if they're any use. I don't know. Anyway, after that, the players pick up the weapons and the shield that they're trained in. They'll choose some armour from three different options. All of them are light and cheap, starting kind of stuff. And then they dive into the arena. When it comes time to graduate to the dungeon game, the players will be offered one of three starting equipment packs for free before they enter the dungeon's portal. Does that sound complicated? I mean, I don't think so. But I do want to put it to the test. Let's try rolling up a quick random Gurpy character for my pit fight. Uh, right, so 3d6 for strength. Um, I've rolled 12. Ooh, dropped my pencil. 3d6 for dex. Uh, 8, 9, 10, 11. 3d6 for IQ. 9. 3d6 for health. Uh, 9, 10, 11. Fabulous. Next step. I get to pick two weapons, one we- or one weapon and shield. So I'm going to go for, um, yeah, broadsword, and I'll have the shield skill. So I'm writing that on, and I get those at one d minus three, a minimum of zero, added to dex respectively. So broadsword going to be at dex, which will be 11, and shield, roll to 4, minus 3 is 1, so you have plus 1, so it makes that at 12. Um, so dex plus 1. And broadsword at dex, 11. Okay, I then get 2d6 and gain that many skills from the random table. Uh, oh, 
we've got eight, eight skills. It's going to flip to the random table. Boop. So rolling three, six, and you pick any of the three skills. So first choice, I've got a nine, which gives me either crossbow, throw, knife, or first aid. I'm going to grab first aid. And I get that at D6 minus three. So I brought a four, that's a one. And first aid is an IQ skill, so it would be a plus one. So IQ plus one gives me 10. Next to skill, number two, <laughs> rolled 14. I get gesture, law, or riding. I'm going to go for gesture, allows you to do kind of, you know, signs and simple signals and stuff. That's an IQ skill. I've rolled a five, so it adds IQ plus two, making that 11. Uh, number three is a nine. I get crossbow, throw, knife, or first aid again. Um, let's go for throwing knife. Simply because it's more likely I'm gonna have a throwing knife. Uh, so that's at dex and rolling. Oh, dex plus three, so at 14. <coughs> Fantastic. That's the third one. I mean, I'll roll eight. Uh, 12, 14 again. So just your law or riding. Uh, okay, I'll take riding, which is a dex skill. I get that at just straight dex of 11. One, two, three, four. Four more to do. It's not quite enough room in my little homemade sheet, but never mind. 13, I can get carousing, fast draw uh, with any weapon, or climbing. I really tend to take fast draw because that is huge. Fast draw with sword, um, which is a dex skill. I get that at dex plus two. Uh, makes that 13. Um, two, three, four, five, so three more to go. I get a seven. Uh, animal handling, public speaking, or forced entry. Forced entry is the barging through doors thing. So um, I'm going to add that skill on. I have to go on the back of my sheet. Forced entry. That's an deck skill. I get it dex, straight dex, which is an 11. And how many are Six. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, two more to go. Uh, seven. Animal handling, public speaking, or forced entry. Okay, so I'll have animal handling, which is an IQ skill. At IQ straight, which is a nine. And finally, uh, seven, eight, nine. Crossbow, throwing knife or first aid. I've got all the rest, so I'll take crossbow. That's a dex skill. Get that dex, straight dex, which is 11. Okay, the skill's done. Clipping back to my notes. Uh, right, so done the scales. Now I get to roll on the advantage table. 3d6 again on the advantage table and once on the disadvantage table. Uh, cool. So advantages. 
Really six. Uh, nine, ten, of twelve. Number twelve is acute taste smell. <laughs> acute taste slash smell. Um, plus five. So basically, anything with smell, scent, or taste, he gets plus five bonus to uh, notice that. So IQ test basically. Disadvantage. Uh, nine, ten, and twelve is hard of hearing. <laughs> okay. Pardon. You up? <laughs> awesome sauce. Okay. Um, so all I need to do is equip him, and it's kind of done, really. It's just a few bits of calculation to do. I'll do those really quickly. His hit points are equal to his strength, that starts at 12. His fatigue is equal to his health, which starts at 11. Um, the damage, uh, based on his strength, just referencing the references sheet thing. So he's got strength 12. So thrusting damage is 1d minus 1. And swinging damage is 1d plus 2. And uh, with his broadsword, he can therefore um, use the sword in one or two ways. So he can swing with the sword, and that's his swing damage plus one cutting. So his swing damage is 1d plus two, it becomes 1d plus three cutting. Um, or he can thrust with the sword, which is thrust plus one crushing. His thrust is 1d minus 1, so it becomes 1d crushing damage. Um, and the, he gets the sword free, that weighs 3, um, which is really, really cool. He'll have um, a shield. I'm going to just give them basically a medium shield, which is a shield bonus of 2. His block then will be his shield skill divided by 2 plus 3. His shield skill is 12, it makes it 6, total of 9. Uh, parry is your weapon skill divided by 2 plus 3. Broadsword is 11. Halved is basically 5.5. You round down 5. Plus 3 is 8. Parry's on an 8. And his dodge, oh, that's dependent on his move. I'm going to work that out. So, base speed, dex plus health divided by 4. Dex 11, health 11, 22 divided by 4. It's where my maths all falls apart. Uh, 22 is 5.5, isn't it? So, 5.5. Um, base move is therefore the base speed without a fraction. Five minus is encumbrance. So I'm just going to put five in there for now. And obviously, when I work out his encumbrance, I can do the rest. His basic lift is his strength times his strength divided by five. So 12 twelves is 144 divided by five. Uh, that's 29, isn't it? So basic lift of 29. And then light encumbrance is twice that, medium encumbrance is three times that. I'll fill those in in just a second. And then his armour points, we're going to give him leather armour, which is worth two points. Um, cool. And player is Che. I'm going to name him in a set armour. Let's name him Marcus because I quite like the name. So Marcus uh, is kind of cool. Um, oh, that dodge would be now his move plus three, so it's five is eight. Excellent. Um, and just so you know, the shield will add two to all of those defences if he's wielding it, which um, hopefully he will do most of the time. And that's a character built, was it under 10 minutes? Oh yeah. I think that's about enough for this episode. Because setting up a simple dungeon game has a few moving parts, I'm going to talk about creating my Death Trap dungeon separately. 
What I wanted to do today was to begin to unpack the areas of thought around setting up a dungeon adventure game using GURPS. Of course, the elephant in the room is obvious. Roleplay Rescue's patrons got right to the nub of this in the comments for the poll that inspired the episode. Aaron Barclay asked why I would choose GURPS as my generic system of choice over, say, BRP, Basic Roleplaying, Savage Worlds, Hero, or any of a number of others. So, why GURPS? GURPS is the system that I want to learn to master. I bought 4th edition in 2004, and I have never really managed to get it to the table. Past players proved resistant. My current players, they're willing to try. My early fumbling attempts were hampered by my own blinkered approach to the game too, so I think I needed to be able to see how a generic universal game system is fundamentally different from a traditional genre-specific and limited design. In short, and I say this from my own experience only, without judgement of anybody else, I believe you need to be a bit of a game designer at heart to want to play with a generic universal game. Instead of writing my own role-playing rules, I've decided to master a generic set that has been through 35 years of development and playtesting. What am I trying to say? GURPS is the game out of Aaron's list that I haven't tried and played. Hero is good, but it's too fiddly, even for me. Designing every detail of the game, I mean, down to weapons and even gear, out of the nuts and bolts of a universal power system, is just too much like hard work. I am fundamentally lazy. BRP is good. I I like D100 games, I've talked about it before, but I feel that it's a little too much of a hodgepodge of bits from other genre games all sort of slapped together. Savage Worlds, that's too cinematic for my taste when it comes down to fantasy. Lots of goodness there, but I like a game grounded in reality rather than in the power scale of the movies and TV reality. And that's why I rejected GURPS at 250 points as a starting point. 75 points grounds us in low fantasy. I'll play Savage Worlds in the Rifts world, for example, or in any cinematic setting, because that's appropriate. More than that, though, GURPS was designed as a generic game from the get-go. It's not cobbled together and kind of patched up rules. Here's a quote from Steve Jackson, a version of which is found in every edition of GURPS, as far as I can tell. I've read it that many times. Quote, GURPS stands for Generic Universal Role-Playing System. It was originally a joke, a code word to describe the game while we looked for a real name. Years went by, literally, as the game developed. We never found a better name, and now that the fourth edition is in your hands, the game is more appropriate than ever. Generic. Some people like quick, fast-moving games where the referee makes a lot of decisions to keep things moving. Others want ultimate detail, with rules for every contingency. Most of us fall somewhere in between. GURPS starts with simple rules and, especially in the combat system, builds up to as much optional detail as you like, but it's still the same game. You may all use it differently, but your campaigns will all be compatible. Universal. I've always thought it was silly for game companies to publish one set of rules for fantasy, another one for Old West, another one for science fiction, and another one for superpowers. GURPS is the one set of rules that's comprehensive enough to let you use any background. 
There are world books and supplements that fine-tune the generic system for any game world you want, but they are still compatible. If you want to take your Wild West gunslinger and your World War II commando fortune hunting in Renaissance Italy, go for it. Role-playing. This is not just a hack-and-slash game. The rules are written to make true role-playing possible and, in fact, to encourage it. GURPS is a game in which you take on the persona of another character and pretend, for a little while, to be that character. System. It really is. Most other RPGs started out as a simple set of rules and then were patched and modified ad infinitum. That makes them hard to play. GURPS, more than ever in the 4th edition, is a unified whole. We've gone to a great deal of effort to make sure it all works together, and it all works. GURPS will let you create any character you can imagine and do anything you can think of, and it all makes sense, end quote. As far as I am concerned, you guys are welcome to ignore my journey into GURPS, but I hope that you'll still gain a lot from listening in to the discussion on how I aim to build a cool and exciting dungeon-based adventure game, albeit using GURPS as my go-to rule set. Because GURPS Lite is free, I think it's a genuine option for the new or returning player. But of course, there are lots of free or very inexpensive games to try. Feel free to adapt the approach I am taking to building a dungeon game while using D&D or any of those other fantasy games. Life will be simpler that way, but also limited by the decisions the game designers made for you. You'll undoubtedly tinker with the rules, as most gamers do. The difference for me will be that I can be completely sure that the tinkering I make will not break the game. Kerps is built that way. That's the difference. Hello, it's Edwin here again. Um, second go after the silent message. Um, what I was saying was that after catching up on some missed episodes, uh, particularly 412, I thought I'd better take the plunge and leave a message. Um, as you know, I'm a long-term listener and I always enjoy the um, thoughtful um, things you have to say and the thoughtful conversations you have with your guests. Um, despite what you've said in 412, leaving this message doesn't mean I'm going to start my own podcast. However, I do want to take the plunge and try some tech. So if you are going to try Mystic online, uh, I'm up for it. Hopefully this message got to you and I'm coming up to the minute. Cheers now. Hello, Edwin. Thanks for calling in. Really great to hear from you. And yeah, no, there's no pressure on starting your own podcast, dude. Anyway, thank you for calling in. Uh, Mythic, I believe that you're referring to. Um, yeah, I've been talking a little bit about doing some Mythic Online, and I know that Jason Connolly, um, who regularly calls in as well, you know, the guy with the dogs, he's thinking about maybe playing some Mythic as well, at least interested in it. So maybe there's a possibility. I don't know. The only fly moment is that I'm starting to play with uh, both Jason and also Jason Hobbs of Hobbs and Friends um, online at the moment. And if that gains any legs and traction, that could eat up my only spare time on a Saturday night. But let's not be pessimistic. So, Edwin, yep, if I get a game together, I will be the first to shout at you and let you know. Well, I'll get in touch. Game on. Thanks for calling in, dude. Great to hear from a first-time caller. Hello, Jay. It's Paul here again. 
And uh, just to say, yes, you raise some very interesting points. It's amazing we have all this technology to make our lives easier, uh, yet we seem to have even less time for ourselves. Um, the work-to-leisure ratio is very much biased towards the work. Anyway, uh, thanks for playing my messages. wanted to let you know that uh, Mythic, there is actually a, a, an add-on in Google Docs called Solo RPG, and it basically um, works the Mythic system within the document. It's fantastic. It really is worth um, checking out. So um, thanks again. All the best. Bye for now. Well, there you have it, folks. Paul Stoneman gives us another tip. Um, thanks, man. That's really great to hear. Mythic uh, Google Docs Solo RPG. I've got to check that out. I'll be honest, I haven't had a chance to do that yet. I've been fiddling around with this GURPS thing for the last uh, few days. But, man, I'll, I'll check it out. And uh, maybe that's one for Edwin as well. Maybe he'd be interested in that. Oh, and um, maybe anybody else. So, Paul, thank you so much. It's been great to hear you call in a few times as well. Um, yeah, keep it up. Hope you're enjoying things. Game on. AJ, great episode. Great reminders about the resistance and how to fight that. Really enjoyed it. I'm glad you're putting out this stuff. Um, oh, this is Jason. Sorry. Not very good at announcing myself, am I? To answer your question, yeah, my intent is to get a podcast out probably this weekend. I'm going to do, I don't know if you saw, but the Audio Dungeon is going to do a month on an Arneson month in October. They've got four different topics they are asking for people to podcast on. So I was going to start the podcast for that. But I'll put out some other stuff too. It won't be as good as your podcast. Um, but, it you know, it's something. Something to help pass the time, right? So I will talk to you later. Take care. Bye. Oh, and I'm excited you picked up those old GURPS things. That That's awesome. Like like I told you in my message, that was my first GURPS set. The first edition, so awesome stuff. Take care. Jason, my man, excellent stuff. Thanks for calling in again and for the big thumbs up for last week's episode. Really did enjoy doing it. My subconscious would not let me hold that in any longer, so I had to do it. Um, felt kind of risky. Glad it paid off. Well, at least for you. Um, oh, and Paul seemed to enjoy it as well. Uh, right, let's talk about you and your podcast. I'm really excited to hear what you're going to do. And firstly, you know, don't do it down, man. It's going to be great, honestly. Uh, I don't know quite what makes you think mine's going to be better, but um, or is better. A lot of that's practice, honestly. When I go back and listen to episode one of season one and just see how bad I sound. Um, but man, it's going to be great. I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say. Um, also, thanks for reminding me about October, the Arnesonian month. I, I kind of penciled in to do some episodes in October on those topics and kind of join in with that. Uh, fingers crossed I remember. Someone's going to have to remind me as we get closer and closer, especially like the week before, because otherwise I will forget. And it's only like two weeks away, something like that, two, three weeks. So please, guys, remind me about Arneson October. Anyway, Jason, thanks for thanks for so much for calling in. And, oh, thanks for gaming last night as well. Did enjoy that, you know, Saturday night. Really enjoyed that with you and Hobbs. Game on. That's another episode in the bag. I'm worried about the character creation details being a bit too long-winded, but, well, I guess podcasting is ideal for trying stuff out, right? So, 
thanks for sticking with me through to the end of the episode. Massive thanks also to the Roleplay Rescue patrons who voted for me to talk about GURPS, but who also pushed me to talk about how to deploy that game in a simple format. Once again, the community leads me towards discovery while demonstrating that it's perfectly acceptable to be who I am at the same time. So thank you guys. This is probably part one of a little mini-series. I aim to talk about building a simple dungeon design, and I also think I want to talk about the world built around that design. Let's reach out of the constraints of a five-room dungeon and plunge into the depths of something larger but manageable. Anyway, that's it for the episode. My name is Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. See you again next time. Game on.